Roll sound, Scotty. Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape! Paul's podcast with Scott. No Charlie, no Paul, no Liam this week. Reason being, nothing sinister. It's the summer. The boys have all got other things to do. As we often say, real life gets in the way of podcasting. We had a stag night that we all went to last weekend. You know, it's, it's lots of things going on. But I didn't want to upset the the momentum of the podcast, the episodes that have been going out. So. I I desperately tried to find someone worthy of filling the boys' shoes, and I couldn't. So instead, I've actually asked one of my co-hosts from the Real Britannia podcast, Stephen, to join us. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Yes, you probably, um, the audience probably would have heard the sound of a barrel being scraped. Um, And here I am. Yeah. Good to have you with me, mate. This is really bizarre. Um, Listeners may be aware of one of my other podcasts, which is the Real Britannia. One of them. One of them, yes. There's a couple more. Um, And and that focuses on British movies. And you, very kindly, sir, are one of the co-hosts of the Real Britannia podcast. I am. That's my pleasure. Um, Thankfully, you know, it's it's been going now for two years quite consistently. We're hitting episode 50 coming up very soon. Tell us about the Real Britannia podcast, you know, because I don't really promote it too much on the Stinking Paws. Well, I think it's... Uh, a wonderful uh, focus on British films, particularly what is considered to be you know, sort of the classic films or the lost gems out there. And we have the similar experiences of when we viewed films due to our age <coughs> and um, due to when we, um, you know, when we first viewed things um, a lot of the time either. Um, particularly on a, a rainy bank holiday afternoon, a lot of the films, but then some of the more recent stuff in the 80s was, you know, watched um, on um, Film 4, Channel mm, 4, yeah. or, or late night on, on BBC One after you come home from um, the pub. Yep. So we, we share a lot of experiences like that, but the, the, the crux of the podcast is about the exploration of, of you know, how iconic a lot of these films are and how important they were to the examination of what it is to be British, really. Yeah. Um, amazingly, a lot of the people who are the, the frequent players um, are the lesser-known names rather than the big oh. ones, like um, Sean Connery and stuff. They they're, they're, they're don't make the big appearances. It's people like Cyril Chamberlain and um, the Hickson, as we call it, John <laughs> Hickson. Uh, more appearances than anybody, you know, these guys. It's incredible, isn't it? Because we said that we was expecting John Mills or Sean Connery or, or Richard Attenborough to be 
the stars of the show, but they're not. It's these these character actors and actresses that, and I, I don't think we're we're just fortunate in picking these movies that they're appearing in. I just think they were in pretty much every single movie in the forties, the fifties, and the sixties. Yeah, Marion Stone. Marion I mean, Stone is the queen at the moment, yeah. isn't she? 150 plus recorded movie credits. And and we've just mentioned that name, and I bet most of the listeners are going, no idea. Who's Marion Stone? Um, I was talking to Tony, the other co host of The Real Britannia last night, about Marion Stone because he had the same reaction. And I said, Tony, you've probably seen a hundred of her films. Um, and I said, the typical example, I said, is Carry On Doctor, and she's the mother that comes in with a young boy that's got Granddad's Jerry stuck on his head. Yeah. She's Marianne Stone. And he went, oh, yeah. I know her. She was in blah, blah, blah. She was in so Yeah, we are finding this. Real Britannia, I love it. It's a, it's a, it gives me a chance to cover movies that we don't generally cover too much on Stinking Paws. We've, we've covered a fair few British movies. But I don't think the stinking pause is all about the carry-ons or, you know, the St. Trinian's movies. But also, we've been looking back, and it's not just the British comedies. We've got some great British war films that we've covered. Yeah. We've got some horror films that we've started to cover, and we're going to really emphasise the Hammer stuff and sort of probably branch out into a yet another podcast based on the Hammer horror series. And... As you say, going up to the film four era, the stuff from the eighties onwards, we, you know, we, we had educating Rita, Little Voice, Excalibur, you know, some of these great eighties movies. East is East. East is East was an un, well, not an un, well, undiscovered gem for me, but it's one that's sadly overlooked and not really talked about too much nowadays. Um, yeah, and it deserves yeah, yeah. to be up there with you. Your Lawrence of not your Lawrence of Arabia's, it's not to that degree, but you know what I mean. The, the British movies that are spoken about more often, yeah. There's this is it. There's there's such a wealth of British cinema out there, and um, particularly we watch you know some of this more recent stuff, like you say, from the 70s and 80s. You're seeing films that have got people starring in them in early roles that then went on to mega stardom internationally sometimes mm. um, when they were in some, some low, you know, lower budget or domestic film, as it were. Um, but, you know, the, the influence that there has been on other films that have gone to higher levels, you know, and the, the, the whole kitchen sink, talking of domestic, um, yes. is, is an amazing sort of thing to look into and see what that led to and how that actually impacted on um, sort of the culture and the reception of um, film and television in this country as a whole. Yeah, we've we just started the Kitchen Sink series as well, haven't we? You know, But instead of starting at Rubber the Top and the Angry Young Man stuff, we've had to go back. And the first movie we review is from 1947 because the influences are there. It Always Rains on Sunday is the name of the movie. But even going back, we discover that the influences for that go back to the 1920s and some of the documentary stuff that was being made le- yeah. leading up to the war pro- uh, the war films and then the social problem movies. But that is a great series that we're going to expand on. It's going to take a good year or so to cover everything that we want to cover to completely you know, take the whole genre as a whole. I just love it. I mean, as I say, it gives me the chance to talk about British movies, which is a genre that we we overlook a wee bit. Um, one of the great things about you coming on here... 
Oh, what was that? That was just me uh, moving in my oh, seat, unfortunately. Like a really um, it's, uh, Yes, yeah, it's, it's the sofa, unfortunately, <laughs> rather, than, rather than my own my own um, output. Yeah, oh, sorry. That's a comment on the show, isn't it? Thank you for appearing on the Stinking Balls. Um, <laughs> one of the great things about you appearing here today is also one of the things we don't cover a massive amount on Stinking Paws is foreign language movies. Not through no fault of our own. I mean, we have covered a fair few. Uh, a very a small percentage if you were to like examine the exact numbers. But when I mentioned to you that I'd like you to come on and, and just guest on a few episodes for us, straight away you come up with two or three continental movies, the first of which we're going to do today. Are non-English speaking movies a big thing of yours mate I'm not too sure exactly where your tastes lie not, in regards not, to this not as such but it's just that um, I think when we were talking there was there seemed to be a bit of a, of a missed section of cinema yeah. that was the, the foreign language films and I'm happy to watch a foreign language film um, just as I'm happy to watch any any film yeah. um, and same as yourself I've got quite a, a broad church in my taste of, of films mm. so it was sort of some of the names of films that could be thrown up it was just um, one that I just you know sort of hit upon it as a first idea and then we decided to run with it as being that we would cover a, a few of these films that we both sort of thought deserved the opportunity to be um, to be heard of or reviewed um, considering my my guest appearance yeah. So um, so yeah, this is this is the first of those, and um, it's been a lot. You know, I'm happy to watch foreign language films, and I think more people should be open to that. Really, I know some people can't bear reading while watching action <laughs> yeah. at the same time, which is difficult. <laughs> but, uh-huh. Yeah, well, it's it's a first time watch for me. It's Goodbye Lenin from 2003, starring a very young Daniel Brühl. I don't think we're going to be able to play the trailer because it's in German. Let's see if we can come up with something. We'll take a break and we'll be back after this. Goodbye Lenin, released in the UK 25th of July 2003, directed by a guy called Wolfgang Becker, and the only person that we're going to recognise in this cast list to most people is a very young Daniel Brawl, who we'll probably know from Quentin Tarantino in... Um, Inglorious Bastards. Thank you. I couldn't, I couldn't think of the word Inglorious for a second there. Mm. Uh, and 
the racing car thing, isn't he? Where he plays Nicky Lauda, uh, the Ron yes. Howard one, um, yeah. and James Hunt. My mind has but, gone yeah. completely blank. We're recording well, luckily, on a Sunday Luckily, morning. Um, he's the only one that we recognise and the only one that we can pronounce the name of. Yes. So it's fortunate in that respect. Having not studied German at school, as we just pointed out off air, I, I studied Latin, you studied Spanish. So, <laughs> But that doesn't you know, hold anything against our enjoyment of this movie. Give us the synopsis, old mate, please. Right here. In the year 1989, a young man in Berlin protests against the East German communist regime. As his loyal party mother witnesses his arrest, she suffers a heart attack and falls into a coma. Months later, when she wakes, her son is warned she won't live long and she needs to avoid every excitement. He then embarks on an elaborate charade to recreate the past and hide the fact that the Berlin Wall has fallen and Germany is reunified. In lesser hands, this could be a farce of a movie. I, I, yes, actually, exactly um, one of the, the, the things that occurred to me on mm. the, the second watch, I was thinking that it, it could... I mean, it, it could, you know, if it was in the correct hands, that, that farce could have been quite good. Yeah. But um, in these hands, no, it, it, it isn't um, a farce. It's, it's more a sentimental drama with sort of gentle comedic, sort of touches mm, to it and, yeah. and wit for me it's it, it falls into a, a kind of category of, of films not just because of its foreign language quality but also because of the the way in which it portrays family and um looking into the past and the, the sort of slightly fantasy element that includes use of it, of TV and mm-hmm. sped up sequences when there's some manic behaviour and, and things, it falls into a category with me that that sits quite nicely alongside um, Amelie. Oh right, okay, yeah, I see, um, see that side and, of it, yeah. Which is uh, one of my favourite films. That's mm. just a beautiful film. And curiously enough, I don't know whether you actually picked up on it, but in one of the scenes, um, there's actually a um, one of the pieces of music from Amelie is um, is there. Didn't um, notice. No. When they're when they're driving out to the holiday cottage yeah. home, um, and she's blindfolded in the car. Um, is the, it the piano it's music? The, it's one. Of, yeah, and it's actually the the score of this is actually done by the same um, same person who did Amelie anyway. So they've just one of the pieces of music they've reused, but oh. it's the same person who's done the score anyway. Interesting, because um, that piece of piano music, that did stand out for me, because I'm thinking, do you know what? I'm going to look up the soundtrack album, because that was a beautiful piece of piano music, not realising it must have been familiar to me, that I'd seen it in Emily yeah. before. How many times have you seen this? This is a not a first-time watch for you, is it? Obviously. No, it's not a first um, Probably seen it five, six times, oh. but I've not, watched, I've not watched it for, oh, must be several years at least i haven't seen it okay. um i watched it originally when it came out um and watched it a few times within a year i think i watched it probably three times um just enjoying it and it's just been recently because of trying to watch other things mm-hmm. that i've not gone back to i suppose but for you it's first time watch obviously as you said so that's that's an interesting yeah um, thing to find out about it's one of those ones that i knew the title i recognized the poster didn't realise it was Daniel Brawl until I actually watched the film or you mentioned it last time. And it's just one of those ones that I thought, 
just looking at the title and the poster, it's like uh, I, can, I can put that on the back burner somewhere. That's I don't even know what I didn't even know what it was about. I didn't even know the storyline. And initially, when you read the synopsis, the first thing you think of is going to be one of those big comedy of errors type things that you know they're going to be bumbling about trying to protect the mother from what's going on in the outside world. But what you get is a genuine love story, a genuine relationship between a mother and a parent and the son's attempts to protect his mother from harm at whatever cost. And it's done in a very realistic way with some comedic elements to it. There are some funny scenes in this. Yeah, I mean, right at the start, there's a, a description of um, the... Oh, the uh, narration. Military, military parade has been a, a, a sort of oversized rifle association. Yeah, but um, but yeah, there's lots of little little comedy lines that are thrown in there, and apparently you miss a certain number because of not knowing German. Yeah, um, but um, there's still a lot of things in there. Where it's just this the mixture between gentle but dark humour and it's making comedy out of the, the situation and and what was um, how it how they actually um, lived and stuff. But mm. you, you've got the bits where when they go into that abandoned apartment and his, his girlfriend, who's the nurse, is incredibly excited about the fact that there's a phone line. Yes. Because you used, you used to have to wait sort of, a, you know, three years to have a phone line installed yep. in an apartment. And she's excited that there's an active phone line there, whereas he's incredibly excited that in the um, abandoned kitchen there's loads of the old produce from from East <laughs> Germany before the fall of the wall that he can then go and cannibalise for his for his mother. And it's key, just that, yeah. that juxtaposition creates a bit of humour in there, which I think is, is heartwarming, as you say, to add into the whole ex- lens that people will go to to protect their loved ones. For me, it's interesting that you and I were probably about Daniel Brawl's age when the Berlin Wall came down, you know, late teens, early 20s. And for us, I mean, I'm I'm assuming it's the same for you, just watching it on the news, we we just knew Weston's reporting of the events. For me, I had no idea what was going on over the border and how it was affecting, certainly affecting everyday people. We knew how it was affecting the politics at the time, but how is it affecting people like Daniel Brawl? People like Daniel Brawl's sister, who, for example, is engaged in a a college course that is politically correct and she has to be seen to be doing. But as soon as mum goes into a coma and the wall comes down, what does she do? She goes and works for Burger King. Yeah, she drops being an economics student and yeah. she um, goes to become a, <laughs> a Burger King <laughs> um, attendant, um, which, you know, he, he mocks... Uh, Ford as, as a brother Daniel yeah. this film along with having the, the, the family element and um, as you say the, 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 the charade and that inventiveness and all this kind of stuff it actually demonstrates and, and tells the story of that sort of microcosm of these changes that as you say from the west as we were as, as teens and early 20s it was a matter of us just seeing this play out on a television screen mm. But the changes that were incredibly dramatic, it was over, you know, just over several months that went from being a, a one kind of economy to another. Yeah. 
and the, their entire society just been swept away. And I'm, I mean, with me, with my, my political um, knowledge and historical knowledge now, mm. um, it's a completely different perspective on at the time, just seeing it play out without any thought for what the consequences were for those people. Yeah. But this tells that story for, for individuals and the people, you know, and their neighbours about how much of a, just a complete upheaval it was turned everything on on its head in their entire society everything they knew and had known for, for you know 50 years was yeah. gone the thing that is evident throughout the thing that is highlighted the most is, is the food because obviously the east germans had their own produce and they were you know their shelves were stocked with a certain type of goods suddenly the whole of Europe has been open because these particular pickles that you can get are only from the Netherlands now or or the, or the, the most you know impressive piece of um, it was probably a bit of CGI if you look at it the Coca-Cola banner being unfurled down the side of the building this whole influence of Western society is is not just in the shops it is in every single part of the life I mean there's a point where they talk about the Trabant car, isn't there? Because there was a waiting list for the Trabby cars, wasn't there, at the yeah. time? Yeah, And when the mum sneaks out very briefly when she first gets out of bed, she spots, like, BMWs in a car showroom. I don't think that's really highlighted enough, but that's one of the main differences, that there are these new, sort of, you know, Western German cars. One thing I wanted to point out, and, and I know you can't make a direct comparison to this movie... But certain elements of this, and I didn't notice it at the time, I was just sat back and thought about it. Have you seen Life is Beautiful with Roberto Benigni? Yes. Set in the, in the concentration camp where a father has to protect his son from what's going on around him by pretending it's all a game. I know you can't compare them both directly, but you think about it, it's almost a similar sort of concept that you know the son this time round is protecting the mother. Because it obviously, did she have a heart attack, didn't she? So it's to prevent any shock, yeah, isn't it? To yeah, she had her. a heart attack, yeah. But I was just thinking, oh my God, you know, there's that sort of reversal there to life is beautiful. Yes, yeah, there's certainly that, that parallel there, but, but in, in reverse. Mm. Um, and that as a theme is very useful as a device and actually how that plays out and that allows the, the storyteller to to examine the realities, examine the differences, examine the, what's actually going on and people's perception of, of, of it in a, a, a great way that people that then the viewer is experiencing that in the same way as the, the people who are experiencing it are in a way, particularly, you know, in this case with the use of, of sort of television and things. And that's, I think that's a good reference point to, to make. Yeah, so it wasn't anything that struck me immediately on watching it. It was just after I was sitting back, just thinking about what I'd seen. I'm thinking, oh, blimey, you know, straight away, there's there's that sort of parallel, as we say. Was this film a massive success at the time? Because, again, I had to do a little bit of digging as to what other films were about that year, particularly the foreign language stuff and, say, Oscar nominations and, and the usual sort of awards period. At the time, do you remember this coming out at the time? Did you watch it at the time, or is it something you watched later? It was. It was. I think I watched it once it came out on DVD. Yeah, that's when it. That's when it picked up for me. I don't. You know, I didn't go to the cinema to see it. Mm. Um, but 
from my awareness was it won a, a number of awards but it didn't it got put forward but not nominated for um an oscar but it did pick up a number of other awards you know cans and a few other things right. it got either mentions or, or awards so there was outside of sort of the hollywood bubble mm. i think it got more uh, notice and attention award and critics wise than than it did inside um the hollywood bubble yeah because looking at the the other nominees for best foreign language film that year i didn't recognize any of them and, and you're quite right in saying that it was put forward as as the german entry but didn't actually get shortlisted the winner i mean you may have heard this that some of these but to me they're complete mystery these these four or five nominations the barbarian invasions which was a canadian movie but was in french it was just and that was a sequel as well wasn't it yeah but i think the right film 17 years between that and the original yes yeah yes absolutely it's the right film i'm thinking of yeah. just then i was after i said it i thought am i, am yeah. I talking no. showing that my complete no. ignorance then and getting the wrong film no um, completely right that's the one that won yeah. but then there was a film a swedish film called evil japanese film called the twilight samurai which could be any movie as far as I'm aware from Japan because they all seem to be called The Twilight Samurai, some of them. Um, <laughs> the Dutch entry was called Twin Sisters and there was a Czechoslovakian or Czech Republic which was called Zellery. I'm just looking at the list as well. There's Infernal Affairs, which I, I am aware of. Oh, was that nominated but, um, as well? Yeah, yeah that, was, that was... Well, I don't know if it was nominated. Yeah. It, was, it was put forward at least as one of the, the countries yeah. put forward. So, no, that didn't get a... a a nomination um as such one of the nominees which again shows that there was a few that sort of slipped between the cracks that might yeah. might have been better placed in some ways but um the tr- you know the oscars is a bit of a tricky political <laughs> viewpoint anyway so um but yeah they, they, it's not like this one was was massively heralded worldwide um and particularly in the english speaking world it wasn't a wasn't something that was um you know, across the media in lots of magazines and stuff. You know, there may have been a, a review of it on sort of somewhere in the Guardian at some point. You know, on a wet Wednesday. Yeah. But um, but other than that, no, it wasn't a, a massive success in the English-speaking world until it picked up a bit more of a following after DVD release. I think another one of those that found its audience, yeah, through the home media. Um, just looking quickly again at the Oscar stuff, don't want to dwell on it too much, but it was the year that the third Lord of the Rings movie came out and just swept the board, basically. So that was the massive headline, wasn't it? That it, I think there was 11 Oscars and it won all 11. So it's easy that you know, easy to get lost amongst a, a headline like that. I just loved it, mate. I mean, I'm, it's, it's nothing I'm in a great rush to go back to, but I'm glad you no. introduced it to me. Um, I was fascinated by it from start to finish because I think it's a completely original story and it's giving me a look at something that I don't think I ever would have come across before. You know, that, that East German life post and pre-Berlin Wall coming down. You know, there's not that many East German movies that I could possibly say that I've seen. To give no, me there's, any idea, there's yeah. one. There's one I can't remember the name of now. There's one about the one about done the a few Stasi, years later about the Stasi yeah. officer who was he, spying on. Yep. Oh, um, I can't think of that's that. a lot darker and mm. and um, in tone. Whereas this is more more heartwarming and whimsical in in some ways, and the symbolism in there isn't even isn't really pointing towards sort of dark things it's more pointing towards just 
trying to to get little things across to you. You referenced before the mother going out and and seeing the traffic. Yeah. And at the same time, there's the helicopter removing oh, one yeah. of Lenin's statues. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And and the way it twists in the air, just it's going past her, and with his outstretched arm that he always had on, on he was always either hailing a taxi or, or something <laughs> other. And it's like he's reaching out to her to to save him as he's been taken away. Yeah. The satellite dish installing company that the the son works for um he's in a red uniform but the way they've done a satellite dish on pictured on the on the uniform yeah looks like a hammer and sickle and oh your eyesight's better than mine the, the, so there's little <laughs> things like this that are just the, the sort of the harking back and the symbolism in there but it's all it's all trying to to get across to you in a a, a more heartfelt way rather than a, a dark shocking way which as I say, that other film, which name I can't remember. It's the lives um, of it, others. Just remembered it. The lives of others. Right. The lives of others. Yeah. yeah. That that's obviously got a darker tone about you know surveillance and people control of people's lives and stuff. Whereas this does, as I said, it fits fits more into the Amelie category for me. There's not a lot of films out there that that were so close to it. Even though it was still a while afterwards, there's not so many um, films that deal with the actual repercussions for individuals at the time of this. There's films that, you know, about the, the political changes on a, a, a countrywide scale and of uh, political leaders and etc. But for for just a, a Berlin family that were in a small flat that were, this was going on on their doorstep, there's, yeah. there really isn't anything that deals with this theme. And this is, as you say, quite enlightening. Yeah, very really? unique, isn't it? I think it's a totally unique story. The bits that I'm going to take away from this is the element of where mothers in bed in this was it 76 square meters, isn't it? They're just trying to keep us East East Germany, basically. Yeah. And she looks out the window, and there's this huge Coca-Cola banner being unfurled on a tower block, just just within her view. So Daniel Brawl has to do some quick thinking with his video editing mate. You know, they've been creating these news stories so that mum thinks that it's still 1989. And what he actually does is he twists history by saying that Coca-Cola was a a, a communist invention that the West had had poached, basically. And this had now been righted, you know, it had now been fully recognised. So now... The Westies, as they was it the Westies, I think they called them, wasn't it? In, in the mm. subtitles, um, were flooding over to eastern <laughs> Eastern Germany for a better life. That yeah, the, 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 rever- the kind of reverse footage they yeah. showed the footage of people storming the Berlin Wall. <laughs> but it was it was um, the narration of it was that it was people storming from the from West Berlin into East Berlin yeah. because they wanted to actually escape um, capitalism, basically. Yeah, it? and and. I think there's a. It might be a bit of narration that Daniel Brawl says, or you can hear him thinking something, where he says, "I think I've created a life that, or, or you know, a history that was so much better, or yes. c- certainly better for Mum anyway, because that was her dream. That bit I liked. That's the bit I'm going to take away. Yeah, because it, it that bit where it is reversing the history. Mm. It is, um, and even to the point where they get to, you know, the he twists the history. To make it that reunification sort of happens um, further down down the line, and he just has to progressively sort of have the the, the new fake news 
progressively done that, but it's covering over. The, what I think one of the neighbours says, um, one of the elderly neighbours, they, they say, um, we won the war, but we lost the reuni- reunification. Yes. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's trying to twist twist all the events, when it, you know, like the Coca-Cola thing, like mm. the... The, the the Westies coming in, coming in as refugees um, into the um, in in their BMWs and things and how you know every every East German is being asked to put one of them up because you know because of yes. housing shortage and and yeah it's just incre- it's it's very clever but it can be just enjoyed on a, on a sort of that heartfelt whimsical level as well yeah the the whimsical side of it you mentioning Emily. I think the the key part of that is the introduction of Zygmunt Jen, the the first German cosmonaut. Yes. Who, who from the beginning of the movie is a bit of a hero to young Daniel Brühl. You know, he's like, great, you know, it's our first countryman into space. And he's always had this fascination with that side of things, building rockets and, and what have you. And he meets Zygmunt Jen as a taxi driver much later on in the movie. And and like something out of Emily, you know, he gets to know him and he uses him to help in this deception. Again, filming him as doesn't he become the leader of the of the, the yeah? He takes, <laughs> up, takes over from Honecker to be the um, leader of the state. Yeah, but it becomes um, more believable to Mum because it's a character that she knows. It's a figure that she knows from history. Well, I think it's funny that because when they're recording that scene. The, when they're actually recording the 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 fake yeah. video of it, they're doing it in a library. Yeah. And when they're setting up and all this kind of stuff, there's people, you know, the the librarian telling them to be shush, you know, because they're making too much noise when they're setting up. But as soon as he starts with the dialogue of his yeah. speech about who he is and being the leader of, of you know a state that no longer exists, as it were, <laughs> as far as the people just fall into silence around the room and don't, sh- don't shush him. And they're just sort of gobsmacked about, what the hell is this? What's he saying? And they're just enthralled, I think. Yeah, uh, which is another sort of illustration of the reaction of the people um, around. And some of them might have been, like you said, looking at this and thinking, this is the future I would have preferred. Yeah. Um, and that is... It's, I say it's complex, and I suppose for the people in Germany, they might, particularly East Germany, there might be more to this film than we can ever yeah. be able to sort of fully empathise with. But that, as you say, that whimsical element where it's just this creation of of, of something, it, it, it just warms the heart because of the whole motivation. Why, you know, it's, in Emily, she's going around playing tricks on people, but she's doing it on the people who are bad people in order to to um, make them happy or to you know people who are unhappy and deserve better she's going around trying to sort of give them little surprises to to boost them up and stuff in this it's all motivated towards the an honorable end of keeping his mother happy and it's 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 amazing the lengths that he's you know gone to and other people being drawn into that and you can't help but think you know if somebody would, would be willing to go to that length for me that just shows real love, you know. Exactly. It's, it's a movie about a son's love for his mother. Yeah. Uh, and we also get the abandonment story of the father as well gets brought in towards the end. Which is, you know, um, gets turned on its head as well, like, in, a, in a way, doesn't it? Mm. The actual reality of it, not to yeah. be spoilers. But, yeah, that 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 is a, a kind of a, of, a, of a twist in the narrative that, again, 
I think that plays into on on a micro scale what there is as far as what the East Germans and the West Germans were both told about each other, and then what the reality is when they find that out. It's it's played out with between the, the mother and the, the father. The what was assumed to you know assumed to have been reality all the time through, but is actually um, a, a different story. I think. I think again, this is the parallel that it has going on between the the, the microcosm and the the microcosm, really. Yeah, it's an interesting movie that I think, for whatever reason, apart from from you, has been overlooked. Uh, it's something I never really heard discussed. I've never seen it shown on TV. It never jumped out from a video store shelf to me. It's just one of those ones that I've just been aware of, and. It's a shame, really, because I'm thinking Stinking Paul's listeners are an intelligent bunch. They should go and seek this out if they want something a little bit different. It's not challenging in any way. I wouldn't say this is a complicated story to follow. No, it's not at all, no. It's, 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 it's complex done. Yeah. There's been a lot of complexity going into actually making the thing and devising the, the plot and actually making it work, but it's, it's, it's an easy watch. Yeah, and it's certainly worth hour and 45 minutes or whatever it was of your time a couple of hours of your time interesting to see where Daniel Brawl started how he became the Hollywood actor I'm sure this is the one that must have got him noticed this movie oh yeah yeah I'm sure this was the springboard for him to actually step out of just being a domestic star yeah in Germany yeah it's a shame nobody else seemed to have followed his footsteps from this movie because there's not a performance that I could fault in this you know it all seemed to work together well and it all seemed to just be a perfect little you know the direction was great the storyline was fascinating as I say it could have developed into something being a bit more farcical if it had been done you know by the wrong person but the director the scriptwriter, have just created something that's very true to life but almost magical in a way like you say yeah, yeah, we shouldn't overlook the fact that the you know the performances and the direction and cinematography in this uh, are incredibly well done. Um, it's you know it's harder for us maybe to go through talking about the other performances based upon the fact that a we struggle to pronounce the names exactly. and um, yeah. and b that these people aren't people we know of for other things. We can't reference them being in other things, so yeah. it makes it a bit more difficult in that respect. But Certainly, there's there's no poor performances in this um, from any of the even the, the supporting cast that are there for just a few lines. It's, this is a film that's been incredibly well put together, really. Yeah, yeah. highly recommended. On the Stinking Paul's rating system, for me, it's a it's a heavy three or a light four out of five stars. For you, your unique rating system, sir. Well, if you're somebody who likes to watch foreign films and, and subtitles, then you know, give it a go if you can see it on um, a cinema, which I really doubt, unfortunately, you'd yeah. ever get the chance. Yeah. But look it out. Um, anybody should look it out as long as you can. You know, you're not somebody who's aversion to got an aversion to um, subtitles. Look it out because it's a film that has a broad appeal. I think um, for that heart- heartwarming aspect. So find it yeah. and enjoy it. Excellent. I would say. Excellent. We're thinking of having you back on the show in a few weeks' time. <laughs> I think you've passed the audition, sir. Let's take oh, it. 
<laughs> Let's take a break and find out what you're going to bring to us for the next show. Thank you. And now, preview time. When it comes to entertainment, you can't beat a good film. So let's take a look at what's coming your way. Okay, what we're watching next time. If it was a usual stinking pause episode, we'd be playing movie roulette and letting the wheel of fortune determine where we're going to go. But we're going to let Stephen choose another one because he's done fantastically well today. I've really enjoyed this morning, mate. Thank you for coming along. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Give me a give me a chance to talk about a movie that I wouldn't necessarily normally get a chance to talk about, and you've introduced me to something brand new as well. Thank you. So, bearing that in mind, what have you got? What have you got in mind for next time, mate? Well, my movie wheel seemed to have spun round and again uh, landed on a foreign language film. Okay. Um, since you enjoyed this one so much, <laughs> um, so uh, we're going for um, a French film this time, though. Yeah. Um, from 1996. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a comedy drama romance yeah. um, in the English title. It's called Ridicule. Yeah. Um, in the French title, it's called Ridicule. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hello, hello. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a, a Patrice uh, Leconte um, film. Um, I know you're aware of some of his films, but yeah. I'm not sure you've actually um, seen this one. Ridicule, I haven't. Um, no. No. no, so it might that might plug a, a bit of a, a gap for you, but um, it's a film again that I haven't seen for probably over ten years, so I'm hoping it's as good as I remember it to be. But um, oh, I'm just looking yes. now. It's it's a historical piece, which is good for me because I like those French historical dramas like La Reine Margot, and, you know those big ones that were out in the nineties. How old is this? Nineteen ninety six. Right, it's about that era. Okay. Yes, there's lots of lots of perfumed wigs and, and yeah. beauty spots and Louis the um, people with yeah. fans in 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 the uh, Versailles and things. Yes. Yeah. So um, um, it's uh, hopefully going to be uh, as good as I remember, and uh, again. Um, be a, a nice surprise for you. I'm hopefully. looking forward to that. As I say, it's given me a chance to discover something new. Take me not necessarily out of my comfort zone, but takes me out of, you know, my own set pattern of watching movies. You know, so I'm I'm really looking forward to that. We'll do that in a few weeks' time. More than happy to have you back. Before we go, um, we mentioned the Real Britannia, which is the podcast that you and I are both involved in. You guest on another podcast, don't you? It's only fair to let let the guys that you help out on that podcast get their moment in the spotlight, mate. What's that one all about? Um, I uh, guest appear as a, a correspondent, uh, a monthly reporter, as it were, doing the Not America report on a, a political podcast called Dumb All Over, which is they've just um, the other week announced that they're going to reformat the show Mm-hmm. Um, to not so much concentrate on the well-trodden path of, of criticising politicians and the, the right wing and stuff and, and more moving to trying to find good news stories um, that appeal that <laughs> appeal and, and actually give a bit more light um, into people's lives. So, I'm, you know, changing the focus slightly, but I'm still on there as a regular reporter Brilliant. Um, with Can, these uh, two American chaps, the gum all over is uh, all to, over. So. Can I just point out to listeners if you want a good starting point to the dumb all over podcast, go back a couple of months when Stephen was a guest, and if you've got any doubt in your mind as to what Brexit is all about and the history of Brexit, 
I think you speak for about an hour, don't you, mate? Going on about <laughs> the the and it was right in the middle of the whole meaningful vote thing and all that lot, wasn't it? There was just all this confusion, this up, this down, this this complete hoo ha going on, and you just put it plainly to the American audience about what the hell's happening in this country. Um, yeah, it's a thing we're going on <laughs> once a month that you know I had to encapsulate what had happened. And although I did cover, you know, I do cover things from elsewhere in the world, it was particularly Brexit seems to have been the big topic each time. Yeah. And it was it was around that time when there was meaningful votes and, and oh, um, Theresa May putting forward her vote for a third time, despite it already being <laughs> defeated and motions of no confidence and all this kind of stuff. And it was, it was every day there was something new like that that could potentially throw the entire thing into into doubt. And to try to put that in terms that the... Um, people in the united states would um grasp um there's a certain certain way of terming things i think that gets across to them a bit easier um but it was yeah there was a particular mention particular mention to a certain group of islands wasn't there what was the um i want to say the azores but it wasn't the azores what's the um the islands that were mentioned the um i can't remember there was something about whose main industrial output was something like sheep or something. What was it? Oh, the Faroe. The Faroe Islands. It was Islands, the Faroe yeah. Islands, wasn't it? Yeah, was it yeah we mentioned the part. Faroe Islands. <laughs> They'd managed to get um, four trade deals, uh, which was, you know, they were heralding as great success. And one of those, the first ones they managed to get was with the Faroe Islands, yeah. uh, with which um, we have uh, <laughs> uh, our trade um, from there amounts to 0.001% mm. of our trade. Yep. And um, it's, yeah, it, it, it was something momentous that we managed to get that really didn't, <laughs> didn't matter at all. Yeah, don't uh, check it out, yeah. the Double Over podcast, and, and Stephen just puts a, uh, a, a common sense view on what's going on in the world, I think, certainly in this country anyway. Stephen, as usual... I mean, this is the first time you've been on the Stinking Paws in about four years, five years almost, I believe. But yeah. As usual, we normally record on a weekly basis doing the, the the Real Britannia podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, mate, especially about something that's not a British movie. Thank you once again. My pleasure indeed. We will see you very, very soon. Stinking Paws podcast. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. Take care. The management of this theater suggests that for the greater entertainment of your friends who have not yet seen the picture, you will not divulge to anyone the secret of the ending. Astrid Arms, that infernal jamboree is worse than two cats on a fence. You dudes get lost now, you hear? Good night, ladies. Good night, sir. When you fail down, try positive thinking. That's what I told the man said, don't wear a frown, try positive thinking, laugh at your troubles instead. You've got to look on the bright side, on hope so much depends, with your confidence sinking, positive thinking helps you on the way, my friend. When things look black, try positive thinking. Treat every season as spring, no glancing back. Try positive thinking, trust what tomorrow may bring. This crazy world that we live in will keep on spinning round. But with good, strong, positive thinking, we 
get together and life won't let us down. Shut up, you ugly bitch. Oh, shut up. We enjoy it.